The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor at Barron's. Thanks for joining us today as we talk markets with Andrew Slimmon, the Senior Portfolio Manager at Morgan Stanley. Andrew was one of our first guests on Barron's Live, and it is great to have him back on the call. Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison, is also on the line, and it is always good to talk markets with Ben, as our audience knows well. So welcome, Andrew and Ben. Thanks for joining me today on Barron's Live, and let's dive in. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. So, Andrew, I'm going to start with you today. We always like to start with our outside guest and ask you a question we've both been hearing a lot about. Why is the market up this year? Rates have been rising. Everyone is on recession watch. And yet the S&P is up about 7% and the Nasdaq's up almost 17%. What is going on here? Why so? Why bullishness everywhere? Well, to me, um, I think it's really a lack of sellers. If who is after two years, the market has gone nowhere for two years. I just don't, I'm not sure there's enough people to say that's it. I'm done. It's gone sideways. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting (laughs) out. And so, you know, you would have done that by now. And look, last year, never forget, we had a 25% decline last year in the market. And unfortunately, as we all know on this call, um, sentiment follows price. Sentiment follows price. So after a 25% decline, unfortunately, those were the people that sold out. And uh, we came into this year with very negative sentiment, very negative positioning. And I just don't think there's anyone left to actually drive the market lower. That's not a reason necessarily why the market will go up. It's just, I guess I've been in this business a very long time and I give a lot of credence to behavioral finance because that's the consistency. And, you know, I wrote a piece at the beginning of the year, pessimism is rampant and that's how we started the year. So it doesn't surprise me, actually, the pain trade, as Ben has pointed out, continues to be higher, not lower. So if there's not much to drive the market lower, is there much to drive the market higher? Or are we going to be stuck in this trading range for a long time? I think not now. I don't I think I have a hard time, you know, the market's up eight percent for the year. That's you know, if you think about the long term return of equities is you know, nine to ten percent. That's that's pretty darn good. It's it seems to me the market's due for some consolidation. We're going, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this. This, you know, we've got a debt issue. We're going into the summer, um, but statistically, you know, this is something else I pointed out at the beginning of the year. If you look at the years when the S and P has had a down earnings year, like we're having this year, the market actually. Normally, not every year, but normally a very high percentage, it actually goes up. And 
The reason for that is the market anticipates a down earnings the year before, like it did last year. And then secondly, and this is what gets to why I still think there's more upside of the market, as you roll, get to later in the year of that down earnings year, the market starts to anticipate earnings recovery the following year, and you get another leg higher. And I think that's a very likely scenario this year where we don't have much movement forward here. The market looks pretty expensive on kind of 2023 numbers. But as we get past the summer into the fall and we start pricing off next year in a earnings, you know, or positive earnings growth, I think you'll get another leg up in the market. So would you say you're pretty bullish? Well, I'm, I'm less bullish right now than I was at the beginning of the year. Uh, I just felt that the, that, that the market had was way too negatively positioned. Every strategist was, you know, very, not every, but almost all of them were, were negative. If you look at global asset allocators for the first time since um, uh, COVID, they went overweight bonds uh, versus equities. Uh, and the bull bear spread, the bearishness had been, you know, the weekly numbers had gone on for so long. I just felt like we were due for uh, a rally, but now we've had a pretty nice rally and I have a hard time at 18 times forward earnings to really see much upside in the market. But the flip side is I have a hard time seeing much downside. So I, my view is I think the next few months are going to frustrate the bears, which is that's a majority and frustrate the bulls, very few I actually know. Um, <laughs> but I think we'll get a uh, another leg higher and then we'll break to the upside later this year. It's just, I think it's hard to see that right now. All right, so more immediately, we are running out of money as a country based on our debt ceiling rules. So how do you see the debt ceiling fight impacting the market in coming weeks? I'm going to ask, why don't we go to Ben for that? And then we'll go back to Andrew. Um, sorry, Lauren. I wasn't ready for you to come to me. Oh, uh, sorry, sorry about that. The debt ceiling fight. How do you yes. see it impacting the market? I mean, right now it's it's showing up in the uh, in credit default swaps. It's showing up in uh, T bills. Um, you're getting uh, some reaction there where people are demanding more yield to be in that what's called the default zone. Um, and the uh, you know you're getting the reaction that part those parts of the market, but you're not getting it from what I can tell in the in the stock market, which seems uh, to feel like hey you know we'll worry about this when we need to worry about this but uh, you know it's uh, the bet has i think always been that a deal will get worked out at some point and it doesn't need to react uh uh too soon to to what's going on there in a way that maybe if you're a a bond holder you might or if you're someone who's rolling t-bills that you might um so i, I just think for the stock market it's a non-issue um, as of yet you agree do you agree with that andrew well, I, I do, but I will say this one thing, and I'm no political expert, but one of, one of the things I've learned about Congress is they don't really act until the financial market sees up and then they realize they better do something. Mm -hmm. So what that does gnaw on me is Congress is looking at the stock market and saying, oh, well, we don't really need to uh, come to an agreement. Uh, because the stock market's really not worried about it. So it does worry me that we need a little bit more volatility in the stock market to actually get uh, our Congress to come to together. Um, 
But on the flip side is I've learned in this business that the market doesn't make the same mistake twice and it overreacted uh, previously. Uh, and so I think there's a little bit of, I'm not going to uh, sell into this because that was a mistake uh, last time. So uh, long with, I, I just think there's height, more risk right here Although I still go back to what who what politician wants people not to get their Social Security, Medicare, et cetera, checks, uh, unemployment checks. That, that, that is a kiss of death. So, uh, yeah, I do expect it, but I wouldn't be surprised we get some more volatility to push uh, the parties together. Is that a buying opportunity then if we do get some sort of sell off before a deal is made? I think it's possible, but I I don't think it's going to be meaningfully enough to kind of reverse my view that, you know, maybe it goes down to 39. I just 3900. I just don't see enough upside going into the summer after such a good move to really get, you know, very, very optimistic you know, long term. And as a long equity manager, what does that mean for me is control risk. Make sure you have some defensive stocks position. You don't want to go too far out uh, on the risk curve right now. Maybe there's a better time uh, uh, this fall. I, I saw one um, uh, one note that I read was uh, arguing that you should kind of stay away from, they were, they were saying defense stocks, uh, but also any stock that really gets a large portion of its uh, revenue from the U.S. government. Um, do, do you think that's uh, overdoing it a bit? Well, if that were to happen, I would, if you were to get a lot of volatility in those stocks, I think that would be uh, a great buying opportunity. So that is a possibility uh, if that were to come along. Uh, mm-hmm. I would be surprised again, but it, it, you know, anything's possible. For sure. You have been bullish on Europe and rightly so this year. And you also see opportunities in China. So why has Europe been doing so well? And what do you think the outlook is from here? Is there still opportunity there? Well, I think number one is the dollar. And obviously, mm-hmm. as an America, as a U.S. investor, uh, the dollar depreciating relative to foreign currencies is good for uh, investing in non-dollar securities. That's the first thing. But secondly, it's not money does roll into other parts of the. If you look at the returns of indices, even in even in their local currencies, when the dollar depreciates, those local, those markets do well, even in their, you know, their local currency. So Europe has done horribly versus the U.S. uh, over the last few years, primarily because the dollar has gone up. And now the dollar has reversed. It's come off a, a significant high. It looks to continue to be dropping. So that, that's the first reason. Number two is, these markets got so cheap, right, with such low expectations last uh, fall because of, oh, you know, high energy prices and it's going to be a cold winter in Russia and so forth. And that really didn't come to fruition. Uh, and so that's helped uh, Europe. And then I think thirdly, it is a play on uh, China reopening. Um, so I think that that is uh, uh, intriguing as well. So, so I uh, in our funds we've been underweight Europe for a very very long time, and really earlier this year we went uh, overweight for the first time. And I think I feel good about that because for all the reasons I've articulated, it's hard to see much upside 
near term in the S&P relative to other parts of the world. So what are you buying in Europe? Can you give us some idea of that? Sure. Well, I think number one is these luxury good stocks are benefiting from uh, China reopening uh, a stock like Louis Vuitton. What did they say on their call? They said they had, you know, you know, incredible demand coming out of China, better demand coming out of Europe, better demand coming out of Japan uh, than expected and a little weaker in the U.S. So I think the luxury good Ferrari is another stock that we own. I think those are uh, two uh, plays on not only Europe, but on uh, uh, China. And look, and then if you listen to some of the credit card companies here talking about the, the amount of business that they're doing in Europe, clearly uh, Americans are going to Europe as well. So I like Louis Vuitton, Ferrari, but we also have uh, a play, uh, an Irish company in our fund, CRH. It's a it's a building materials company that um, uh, is benefiting from, they do a big business in the United States, the infrastructure programs here. And it's a company that trades at a significant dif- discount to some of the building aggregates like uh, Martin Marietta here. Uh, and they're frustrated by that. And they're actually moving their uh, listing to the United States. So it's a it's kind of a intriguing play on just how cheap European stocks are relative to their peers in the U.S. And a company is actually taking action to c- attempt to close that valuation. So I guess it's too soon to know what the U.S. ticker will be. I think it will be uh, CRH, but I don't know that for okay. sure. All right. So CRH trading in okay. Ireland at the moment. Thank you oh, very you can much. Buy it. No, I'm sorry. There is an ADR. Oh, CRH oh. is an ADR. Yep. Oh, yep. Okay, great. Um, let's switch to companies reporting earnings this week. Get away from the macro just a little bit. Earnings season has tapered off, but a couple of big companies will be reporting. And I'm going to ask Ben to take a look at Disney for us. Bob Iger is back running the company. Disney is feuding in court with Florida's governor. There are questions about the outlook for Hulu and the future of Hulu. And in Hollywood now, there's a writer's strike. So what does all this add up to for Disney, Ben? It's good times for Disney, Lauren. What, what do you think? <laughs> no, it's, I mean, Disney is had... is positive. I mean, it's that's part of what's going on, but it's also that Disney has been, you know, pretty much dead in the water for a while now. It had that huge run up where it was simultaneously a stay at home stock because of Disney Plus and a reopening stock because the economy was going to reopen and everyone was going to go to the parks and the stock just surged. And then we hit the 2022 and the stock just falls apart. And now it's been going sideways for a while. Um, and the, people are feeling pretty optimistic about the company. Um, Bank of America had a note out and uh, they, they were they were highlighting some of the, they, they called it decisive action that Iger has been taking, including uh, restructuring divisions, um, layoffs. They know they, they, they don't refer to it as layoffs. They, they talk about the operating efficiency. But what they mean is that he's been firing people and also uh, just putting a focus on the core brand. And you know, there are issues. There are, there are things that are still out there that uh, are overhangs, things like uh, the future of Hulu, how much they're going to have to pay to keep uh, the NBA. 
who's going to be CEO after Iger? Is Iger ever going to really step down? And of course, getting profitable with their digital offerings. But right now, things look, it's, it's another one of these examples where everyone has been so bearish on the stock that it's actually set up uh, pretty well right now. It's uh, bounced a little bit recently. It's now trading above both its 50-day uh, and 200-day moving averages. So the setup from a technical perspective looks pretty nice heading into the earnings call. And if they beat, uh, it should keep heading higher. So it's been a, a long, slow slog for Disney for the past few years. So it'd be good to see a little upside there. Very so, much so. Moving on, Ben, I don't know what you did on Saturday, but in our house, we spent part of the day watching the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting on TV. And that brings me to another company reporting earnings this week, Occidental Petroleum, Oxy. Berkshire owns almost 24% of the oil company, but Warren Buffett said Berkshire is not planning to buy the whole of Oxy. The stock's been pretty flat this year, and the company reports results tomorrow. What's in store, and what do you make of the Buffett news? Well, Buffett news was interesting because there's been so much speculation yeah. that uh, they that Berkshire would buy the whole thing, and the stock is actually trading down a bit on uh, on that comment. It's uh, down about two point one percent today, um, and, and that's really off of this uh, this news that. Uh, uh, Berkshire doesn't have any plans to buy the company. What uh, I think the market missed is that Berkshire uh, Buffett went ahead and praised the leadership. It's like, you know, what are we going to do owning the whole thing that they can't do themselves? Um, and uh, there, there's some other reasons to feel pretty optimistic about the company. One is that it really hasn't done anything um, for about a year now. It's been uh, bouncing around in a sideways pattern. Um, it, uh, um, I think a lot will depend on, on oil prices, but uh, the analysts over at, uh, at Cowan are, are pretty high on the stock. Um, they actually upgraded it at the end of March, so a little over a month ago, but they talked about it having um, a superior risk reward relative to other um, oil companies, uh, partially just because um, of this Berkshire presence, which uh, means that there is some money rolling into the stock uh, um, periodically, even if Buffett's not buying the whole thing. Well, they're going to keep adding shares, especially because uh, some of the prefers they own are going to be uh, redeemed. Um, and so they'll roll them some of that money over probably into the common stock. And just that they think that this is a stock that operates very well relative to other uh, energy stocks. Um, and so I, I think that uh, heading into the um, into the report where they're expecting to, to report a profit of $1.24, which would be up from, uh, which actually would be down from last year where they had $2.12, um, you know, that it would, uh, that if they can beat this, again, it looks like a stock that's pretty well positioned to do it uh, into heading into this earnings call. Let's you know, think about that. is, Lord, is, is, is energy is the antithesis of the stock market last year and this year. It was the best performing sector last year. A lot, there was a high level of optimism at the end of last year that and, you know, I heard lots of people say, well, it's 4% of the S&P. It still has plenty of room to go. I'm not very optimistic on the stock market, but I am optimistic on energy. And now you fast forward today, it's the worst performing sector and the stock market's up. So I think it's what the point of this is, and I agree with Ben about just overall these stocks, there's a lot of enthusiasm has been washed out of these stocks. And anytime with any stock, what you want going into earnings season is a low expectations, not high expectations. And I think a lot of the higher expectations have been washed out of the energy, energy group. It's a good place to be. Exactly. And I just 
when Ben talks about the management, I remember when Vicki Hull, the CEO of Occidental, was harshly criticized for a lot of actions she took. And, and look at today, Buffett doesn't think he can improve on her performance. So it just, it just shows you there is room for change and room for change in perceptions in the market. So let's move on, Ben, and talk about uh, electric vehicle makers not named Tesla. A batch of them are posting earnings this week, or I should be more accurate and say a batch of them will be posting losses. So tell us who's reporting and how you size up the outlook for these companies. Yeah, it's really incredible kind of looking at them. We get Lucid, we get Fisker, Nikola, Rivian, and Lee Auto. And three of those stocks, Lucid, uh, Nikola, and Rivian, their losses are getting bigger as they deliver more cars. Um, only Fisker uh, has a loss that's uh, getting smaller, but it's uh, not doing very well either. All these stocks are down a lot uh, over the past year, uh, ranging from 55% for Lucid to you know 34% for Fisker, 84% for Nikola, which is now trading under a buck. And I think we all kind of know what that means. Rivian's down 40%. Um, I, I, so many of these stocks at this point are, are, are they're just so speculative. Um, Lucid gets a, a little bit of a... Um, of a pass, I think, from investors because it has some Saudi backing. But these are really tough stocks to uh, to invest in uh, right now. Uh, it's just a, it's very hard to be getting these businesses going when rates have gone as high as they are. And I think that's really what has hit not just EV stocks, but stocks in all kinds of um, uh, industries that uh, you know came public in the last couple of years um, that uh, that need money to get going and. Uh, I think the one that does stand out is Li Auto because it's not really part of this group. It's a, a Chinese automaker. Um, it's profitable. It's reporting. It's expected to report a uh, profit of five cents a share. That would be down a little bit from seven cents, but its sales are way up. And uh, you know the stock is um, it's done well this year. It's up twenty one percent, but uh, in the past three months it's kind of gone sideways, which suggests that maybe there is some room there for uh, for upside if there's good news. And I think a lot of this is just dependent on the perception of the Chinese economy and uh, how the rebound there is going and will it turn into sales for 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 Lee but if there's one to really watch I think that would be it I have to ask about the others why would you want to buy a car from a company that is that is growing its losses as opposed to profits and it seems to be very stretched at a time of rising rates it seems a risky risky decision to me. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right on that. Though, remember, Lucid does have the backing of the Saudis, and they're making very high-end cars. Uh, Rivian, I mean, I've seen the Rivians out there. When I go back uh, to Colorado, they're actually, I don't want to say they're prevalent, but uh, I've seen a few of them driving around, and, and they're nice. Um, and and so, the, you know, the, with all these cars, they, they have, they with the, all these auto manufacturers, they have high fixed costs. And so if they can get to the point where they're selling enough cars, those losses are going to start shrinking. Um, but they got to get to that that point where they actually are producing and selling enough cars. And that's and that's the real tough part. OK, a few more topics and then we're going to take listener questions. So please type them in now. Um, one ask about economics, the April CPI report, that's the Consumer Price Index, is the big news on this week's economic calendar. It'll be reported Wednesday. Inflation has been trending down, but very, very, very slowly, which is why the Fed raised rates last week for a tenth time in this cycle. Ben, what's the forecast for headline inflation, and what's the forecast for core CPI, excluding energy? 
Sure. So, I mean, that narrative is probably not going to change with these reports. Uh, CPI is supposed to come in at five percent. That would be um, uh, that would be even with the uh, five percent that it uh, reported uh, last year, um, and it's supposed to uh, increase by 0.4 percent uh, um, month over month. That would be up from 0.1 percent. Um, on a core basis, it's supposed to increase by 5.4%. That would be down from 5.6%. And on a month to month basis, it's supposed to come in at 0.3%, which would be down from 0.4%. So, altogether, those numbers suggest that inflation is still coming down. Um, it's just not coming down very quickly. And um, so, I, th I think for the Fed, I mean, that's what the, these numbers don't really change, aren't going to change what I think the narrative is, doesn't change what the Fed already knows is that it's, it's working. Um, it is pushing uh, it, what it's done so far with raising rates and tightening monetary policy has pushed, uh, helped push inflation lower. It's just not going down to the 2% target very quickly. Um, and so that suggests that we probably do have, um, you know, uh, that the you take the Fed at its word that it's going to keep rates where they are for a while. So now's a good time to circle back to you, Andrew, and ask you what you make of the Fed and inflation. Are we going to have to live with somewhat higher inflation? And do you think the Fed will continue to hike rates from here? Yeah. So one of the other reasons why I thought that this would be a good year for equities at the beginning of the year was simply that it's the it's the presidential cycle. It's the third year and equities tend to do well in the third year. Uh, and I thought that would you know be the case this year. And the reason for one of the reasons is there's obviously uh more pressure in the third year for uh the economy be doing well so i think how that how that applies to this year is if you start to see the unemployment rate tick up i think it's going to be very very hard to for the fed to maintain their hawkishness because there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to moderate their their stance so that that kind of puts a floor on too much hawkishness drive the economy uh you know uh into into weakness and there's there's certainly some implications longer term my my, my view is that uh we're going to have higher rates uh, uh than we had um you know, over the last decade. And that means that many of these stocks that uh, have very, very high multiples, it's going to be very, very tough. In other words, what you pay for assets going forward is going to be uh, more important than it has been in the past. And that's simply because when it comes to the trade-off of slightly higher inflation or uh, higher levels of unemployment, I think the Fed is going to be forced to uh, pivot to accepting higher levels of inflation. So uh, go ahead, Ben. Uh, I was just gonna, I was, you know, uh, just wondering, I know you, um, you what, what do you make of the stocks that, not even tech stocks, but you know, they're good supermarket stocks and things like that, that have very strong multiples. They're very good businesses, uh, but the, the valuations are so high. Do those uh, multiples just get squeezed over time? So if they're defensive, right, lower beta, I don't, I'm not sure. I think the the vulnerable are the, you know, these very high growth, high expensive stocks. I'm not mm -hmm. sure defensives, yeah, they could be squeezed over time, but I don't think they will be sudden 
sudden correction. The, the real conundrum for the market is really the valuation disparity between the cyclical stocks that have really been sold off because there's expectation that the economy was going to fall off a cliff and uh, the defensives that are expensive. And so you get a number like the payroll number on Friday and look what happened. All these more cyclical stocks were up huge on Friday because of the recognition oh, maybe the economy isn't as weak as people expected. So what do you make of the NASDAQ being up 16%? That's that's really the haven of growth stocks. Yeah, I mean, well, but, you know, you have to remember that it's very, obviously, very heavily weighted in the mega cap, and they didn't do very well last year. They were down a lot over that's for sure. know, very, very big numbers. So it doesn't surprise me, two, two, but, but two things happened. These companies, many of them have embraced cost cuts. And I remember I was somewhere listening to the, uh, I think I was in Arizona for a conference and I was listening to the third quarter conference calls and these companies were kind of acting very immune to a slowdown. And boy, oh boy, did that change between, you know, kind of October and early this year with cost cuts. And so I think it is a combination of valuations came way down last year and many of these companies are starting to articulate strategies that recognize that they're economically sensitive and they have to react to uh, a uh, slowing economy in a, you know, in a period where the Fed is raising rates. And so I think that doesn't surprise me that uh, these these stocks have rallied, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be against those the mega caps. I would be very cautious on the very very high multiple Nasdaq stocks that probably bounced because they were so heavily shorted going into the end of the year. Good point. So speaking of the Fed and rates, we have a question from Christos. Do you think the Fed is going to cut interest rates before the end of the year? Is that to me? I would say yeah. I do not. I do not, because I think the economy is proving to be far more resilient. Look at first quarter earnings reports. The economy is proving to be far more resilient than what uh, expectations. So I think the Fed will pause, but I don't think, you know, to get a cut, you'd have to have something really bad happen. And I don't I don't expect that. Ben, do you want to venture a guess here? No, I, I would agree. I, I think it takes uh, some real signs of weakness uh, for the Fed to uh, to to cut. Um, and you know, for now, we I don't we just don't see any. So uh, um, the, the market sort of acknowledged that uh, um, last week um, when uh, the, the the payrolls report came out, they they pushed out their rate cuts, and I think they'll probably have to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay, are we approaching a new bull market in bonds, Michael asks. What do you think, Andrew? Well, rates are more attractive, but the only risk of that is uh, um, inflation's higher. So I think there's, there's a concept in behavioral finance called anchoring bias. And anchoring bias is where we, we fixate at a number and that's our anchor. And if new data comes in, relative to that old anchor, we view it as more attractive, less attractive. What worries me is that rates look attractive because people are anchored to the old inflation rate, which was, you know, zero to one percent. And so I think after the new inflation rate, I'm not so sure that the real returns on bonds will be 
uh, more attractive than what they were before. Now, you know, this is an equity manager speaking here, yes, but there is a negative to stocks as well. The negative stocks is, okay, well, if the re if real yields are going up because inflation's higher, you got to have a higher return, nominal return on interest rates. The negative for stocks is that the earnings yield expectation, which is the inverse of the P, uh, goes up, which means PEs are going to go down over time if we are into a secular period of higher rates. I think that's inevitable. And, and, and it all goes back to what I said before, which is, what you pay for assets is going to be a lot more important than it's been over the last decade. Okay. Question from Charles. I'm going to give this to Ben, who oversees our electric vehicle coverage. Albemarle is a lithium producer. The world needs lithium. Why has the price of lithium tanked, dragging down one of the world's largest lithium miners, that being Albemarle? Well, um, I mean, I think the, the big thing is you have to, it, it, yes, it has tanked, but you have to look at how much it ran up to beginning in uh, 2021 or so. Um, it was down, I think, at around $4,000, um, give or take. And then it's rallied all the way up to about 60000 at, uh, you know, about November of, uh, of 2022. And now it's come down, it's about uh, 18000 or so. Um, so. So you've had this, you had this massive drop, but you also had this massive rally. Um, and, and I think a lot of it was just, uh, you know, there was... Uh, excitement there was speculation on the amount of uh, lithium that uh, was going to be needed to, uh, to to transition to EVs um, I think there's a lot of talk that there there wouldn't be enough of it that was something that Al Root who covers uh, these stocks for uh, for Barron's uh, has pushed back against um, and uh, you know it's uh, and so I think this is now an adjustment for um, for both the price of lithium and for the uh, price of the lithium miners, their stocks. Um, and uh, I think the the big question, and it's one that Al is wrestling with now, is uh, where where does it settle? If the price can settle someplace around where it is, it's still a great place uh, for uh, um, it, it's still a great price for these lithium miners. Um, but uh, I think a lot depends on. Um, really these uh, EV makers and how the transition is going to go, how fast are they going to try to push it? It looked like they were going to push really fast, but many of them have actually slowed it down a little bit. Um, so I think it's still up in the air, but we're still at a pretty good price here um, when you're looking at a long-term chart. Okay, good to know. And we had a question from Howard about, Andrew, whether you have any other stock recommendations. I think there were a couple more you were cleared to talk about, waste management, yeah, yeah. MasterCard among them. Well, I, I, yeah. Well, the, you know, I I think what, what I said before, which is what we learned on Friday, or were reminded yet again on Friday, is the economy is pretty darn good. So you want to have uh, stocks that are geared towards more strength. You don't want to just own defensive. So a stock like Mastercard. I mean, they had a great quarter. They talk about travel. Have you? I mean, I'm, anyone's gone to the airport later lately knows there is a transfer of spending from goods to uh, services, but there's not a decline in spending. Um, so I like that story. Uh, but then I think you have to be mindful that we're getting to a. Uh, a, a tougher period for stocks. We've had a good run, and so waste management is a 
you know, it's a defensive stock. It's got to pick up your garbage regardless of how the economy is doing. So I like that. Uh, I like a little bit of cyclicality with um, with some defensive, stable, stable companies in case we get into a rocky, rocky summer. Do you see any bargains in the bank stocks? Well, I think they will bounce. I think you're seeing many of the, you know, the I think that you guys highlighted this weekend that there's insider buying uh, uh, amongst the banks. Uh, so I think from a trade standpoint, they're intriguing. But longer term, I would be cautious because what did we learn from the great financial crisis is the big banks were re-regulated, higher capital requirements. And if you look at the returns uh, for those big banks, once they bounced off in 2009, they really didn't do as a group, there were exceptions, but as a group, they really didn't do all that well uh, from then until, uh, uh, you know, kind of the COVID peak uh, versus the S&P, they were laggards. And, and, and I think, the inevitable outcome for the regional banks is they're going to be more heavily regulated, more capital requirements. And so I just don't think that that uh, creates a good longer term outcome. So we have financial investments and in, you know, asset managers and insurance companies, but I'm not stepping in to buy them because I'm really thinking about the next you know, kind of five to seven years. Okay, very good. And we'll close with a question from Steve. Do you have a target for the NASDAQ? For the end of 2023. I hate to hate to be uh, a downer, but I don't. I'm not a strategist. I'm a portfolio manager, and uh, uh, but I I think that you know the the S and P the most attractive to me right now within the indexes is the S and P equal equal weighted because it's had such a big move in the cap weighted uh, that I think you know uh, looking at that. Uh, uh, versus just the big guys, to me, is the most attractive of the indices. I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, thank you very much. I want to thank you, Andrew, for joining us today. And thank you to Ben, of course, for being here as well. And I want to thank our listeners, too. Tomorrow, thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, please join Associate Editor Reshma Kapadia for a discussion with Savita Subramanian, Head of U.S. Equity and Quantitative Strategy and Global ESG Research at Bank of America, and one of Barron's 100 Most Influential Women in U.S. Finance. Savita will see, will be discussing the potential for double-digit gains in the S&P 500. That's a bit of a different call from today, I guess, despite the recent bearishness, and she'll be discussing the best position sectors, so please tune in for that. Thanks again, Andrew, and thanks again, Ben. Great to have you both on Barron's Live. Stay well, everyone, and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.